welcome to one of the last Capital Sports 2.0 because, of course, we'll go back into the full old studio very, very soon. Um, my name is Alan Moore and I am one of five hosts here this evening. We have Isolt, Andrew, Andy and Derek. I'm going to start with Isolt. So I'm going to start with boxing and in particular women's boxing because last weekend we saw another potential contender for fight of the year from Eddie's back garden. Uh, that being Eddie Hearn and Matchroom Boxing, in an all-British world title bout in which uh, Natasha Jonas, a former British Olympian and the first woman to compete in boxing for Britain, uh, fought and lost to Terry Harper, who was the reigning champion. The thing that came out of the fight, other than the fact that people were questioning the results, um, a lot of people felt that it was either a draw or a victory to Jonas, but Harper obviously won, was the fact that women's boxing continues to be at two-minute rounds as opposed to three. And in a contest like that, you can see how if the fight went to three, if each round was three minutes, it may have affected the outcome. So I have a couple of issues with the arguments for two and three-minute rounds for women and men, respectively. Firstly, there is absolutely no evidence to back up the fact that having two minute rounds is justified in women, in, in women only, in the sense that there have been no studies conclusively on boxing in women's sports. There are studies in concussion, which show that women take longer to recover from concussions than their male counterparts. So by that argument, you would say in between fights have a longer duration of recovery. Because the fundamental issue that I have with the three-minute argument is that it suggests that if fights went to the extra minute, women would have more knockouts, which confuses concussion with the need to be knocked out. The reality is you can be concussed in the first 10 seconds of a fight. Suggesting that it not going that extra minute is going to change anything means that people are being irresponsible about concussion procedures by going, oh, that girl wasn't knocked out. She doesn't need the recovery time. It would add to the spectacle and where that fight last weekend was the best fight on the card, women deserve to have the opportunity to shine over three minutes and also they deserve to be paid commensurate to their effort but that's a separate issue and it's just one that's going to be topical because in the next few weeks we're going to see Kate Taylor fight uh, Delphine Pursun in a rematch which arguably if the first fight had had three minute rounds, Katie may not have won. Yeah, uh, Andrew, um... You have some interesting stories from the world of Russian football, which, um, you know, it's all related to referees and VAR. So you've got two minutes starting now. Well, Sparta Moscow are known to be the biggest, most popular, the people's club. Um, the people who support them also happen to be the biggest wingers in world football. Now, they seem to have this obsession that referees are all against them. And in fairness, this weekend, at least one decision was against them. Two penalties were given against them, against Sochi. The first one, I actually on balance think it was a penalty. The contact was made just before he met the ball. So that is fair enough. The second penalty, which was awarded over VAR, the conversation which has been made public, you could hear the audio between the referee and the VAR. They said, look, we've got to hurry this up, chaps. We've got to make this decision. It's... Well, I mean, it wasn't a penalty. It, it, was a, it really, really was a terrible decision. When you've got virus well, it should be clear-cut, and it wasn't. Um, now, the fallout from that is, well, there are numerous official club accounts that are making a complete mockery of the competition 
they actually playing. Um, Ruben Kazan's account have put out a, a mockery of it. Um, Spartak threatened to pull out of the whole Russian Premier League. Um, that's just Lenin Fadut, so ignore that. He's, you know, he likes the sound of his own voice in various forms and whatnot. Anyhow, VAR is not uh, fully backed. Roman Shirokov, a legend of Russian football, was playing in an amateur match recently. Uh, he didn't like the fact that he was... Well, firstly, he thought he should have had a penalty. When it wasn't given, he mouthed off to the referee. He's only 23 years old. And the referee, quite rightly, flashed a red card straight away. And straight after that, Roman Shirokov um, pulled out a quite impressive right hook, which would not have needed a two-minute round. Uh, and not only that, he really did lay the guy out, started kicking him on the ground. Uh, and as of yes, to my knowledge, he has not been um, relieved of his probably well-paid duties at Match TV. Uh, so, setting a good example. Uh, the final last thing I did want to mention very quickly was um, about a, a much different note. Uh, Inokenti Samokvalov, who died um, two months ago, and he died a locomotive 22-year-old defender. Um, he died of heart failure in training. What's come to light is that the doctors in charge did know his heart rate was way, way above normal two months before he died. Um, and the club have not actually paid the full value of the contract that was, you know, when a uh, deceased player, you should pay up the whole, whole amount. Um, so there is a petition that's been filed with the Prosecutor General of the Russian Federation into the direct causes of the death and responsibility. There is money being raised by Yuri Dud for him, a Russian, well, former kind of footballer and a blogger. 13 million rubles, I believe, yeah. has been raised yeah, so probably. far. There are lots of questions there to be asked. I know that we've spoken about this before. We spoke about it, of course, with uh, Alexander Zotov. And for me, I think there's questions to be asked about what kind of training he was doing. I know the lad. I actually played getting football with him. And I don't know, there's too many questions to be asked. And um, the head of the Russian FA apologised to Spartak. The Russian FA said that the second goal should not have been given. It was a mistake. Um, and Dukov, he, of course, phoned Leonid Fedun and says, don't pull out of the league. And additionally, now uh, there's a demand for referees to be given lie detector tests. <coughs> and referees well, seem to be agreeing to it. Three quick stories for us, so uh, we'll try not to run over time, and away you go. Uh, like I mentioned last, last time, that Drogba was standing to be the president for the Association of Football in Ivory Coast. Finally, after so much war, he managed to, he's, he, he was validated as a candidate. After all the politics, the people in the association, the referees association never really wanted him to stand, but Finally, he's a candidate and the elections are on, sorry, the 5th September. He, but I really hope Drogba wins because I really want him to win because I know he's going to do so much for the Ivory, Ivory, Ivory football. Also, in Zambia, uh, the league just ended. Kind of football club won the title, the 15th title. It's like the Manchester United, no, no the Chelsea. <laughs> It's like the Chelsea of Zambia. The Celtic, <laughs> the Celtic of uh, Zambia, yeah. Celtic, yeah, yeah. It's like the, they won the 13th title. Um, the ones who are, who are uh, second were going to win the title for the first time, but uh, they messed up on the last day. They drew against Zanaco, and the first and second both had the same points. They only, they only kind of had more goals than the other one. Than the other one. We'll go now to stay in Moscow, of course, and going to Andy Mack. Andy Mack, welcome back. It is the return of the Mack in every sense. Yesterday you had uh, 
some slippery fingers to deal with. Um, but today you have some slippery customers in Scotland. You have two minutes to moan about Celtic. <laughs> okay, Celtic have brought shame on all of Scottish football, really, uh, this week after Aberdeen did their best to do it the week before by going to a pub after a 1-0 defeat. Two players were confirmed with coronavirus after that. The whole city went into lockdown. Two games were postponed. Uh, and then this week, um, Neil Lennon, the Celtic manager, apparently gave the players three days off, uh, which was quite baffling. And one of the players decided it was high time to go for a one-day trip to Spain. Uh, on his return, obviously, because nobody's seen anything in the newspapers or the press or anyone's been talking about anything to do with the quarantine if you were to go to Spain, he decided not to tell anyone. Um, and then he came on as a substitute, having not told anyone uh, against Kilmarnock on Sunday in a 1-1 draw. Now that has put, well, it, it's thrown a lot of questions as to um, why, A, the SFA have not thought about this, because this was obviously going to happen at some point. Um, there's no decision about whether there's going to be um, three points given to the opposition team because they've broken coronavirus protocol. Uh, it looks like that is not going to happen because Nicola Sturgeon, First Minister of Scotland, has given them a yellow card, so to speak. And also the UEFA Champions League have said their game will go ahead against Reykjavik now. Um, so it's brought a lot of shame and a lot of question marks over football, how it's going to progress when these things do happen. It was obvious they were going to happen, but Bolly Bolingoli is a total idiot. Uh, and Neil Lennon, quite frankly, should shoulder some of the blame because he, there's three or four players now being investigated and if you're going to give three you know, three days off to your, to, to your camp, you need to make sure that they're not peeing about with COVID protocols. My second one, really quickly, is Russia has finally paid its um, $5 million fine to the World Athletics um, over the um, alleged forged medical documents that they were using. Uh, they missed the deadline for the 1st of July, but they have now paid it. The Russian Athletics Federation couldn't pay it. It was actually the sports ministry that paid it up. I disappointingly couldn't keep my argument about three-minute rounds to three minutes, which is a bit worrying. <laughs> three-minute <But>, okay. <laughs> but uh, the other story is that WADA have basically indicated that they are making a substantial change, in, basically in the substances um, which they will be testing for and how they punish um, in relation to various substances. So they have a new defined substance of abuse. So this basically is to cover recreational drugs. So in WADA's wisdom, they're going to bring in three months or potentially on um, appeal and showing that you're going to do rehabilitation, a one month ban for being found with a recreational uh, drug in your system. However, there's two big things we need to consider in this. The first one, various sports and NGOs will be able to legislate for that themselves. So an NGO can decide that they, the national doping um, organization in one country can decide, actually, we're not going to implement this change. We still want your cocaine, your heroin, etc., to still um, the same ban as it has always been. Whereas a sport may also decide to legislate. So let's say a sport's going to say, well, actually, you're in a sport where weight is sensitive. So we're not going to allow you to have a test for cocaine ruled down to a three-month or a one-month ban, potentially. So there's going to be a lot of administrative confusion. But my own personal favourite part of the proposed change is that they intend the non-competition test rule to go up until 11.59pm on the night before the event, which is just 
mind blowing. How does that work, Isol? So you can you out of competition testing. They have changed this when it comes to recreational drugs. That according to the code which will come into force, you can test positive. The out of competition time basically runs longer towards the event. Now again, it'll depend on how sports adopt this rule because obviously, if you're competing in I suppose a prime example is if let's say you're competing in Formula One and you have a drugs test of any sort less than 24 hours prior to the event, you're in a very dangerous position. The other position is that if you're already serving a ban, so let's say you might currently have a two-year ban for a positive cocaine test, as of January, you should be able to, if you're still serving it, appeal to have that reduced retrospectively to the one or three month period so it could just be deemed served. But what's worrying is they don't have any of the mechanics in place to do any of this. And I think it sets a dangerous precedent. I don't disagree that you reduce the, the term for recreational drugs because they're common in a lot. You're seeing it with the John Jones, etc. Yeah. But bring it down to a year. Don't make it a joke. Okay. Uh, Andrew, back to you. Um, I want to ask you very, very briefly. Uh, United, of course, should have... Um, they played a stinker of a match tonight. They should have gone out... Have United got the firepower to go on and win the Europa League? I mean, the, the, the penalty decision was an utter joke. Um, should never have been given. I actually do think United's performance overall was, was enough to deserve a win. Uh, it wasn't going to blow anybody away. Um, on the other hand, I, look, I watched a bit of uh, Shakhtar Donetsk win um, and they looked far more attacking and dangerous. So I think uh, the United's problems are in defence. I think, realistically... It's, uh, am I going to be, uh, are most United fans going to worry if we don't win this tournament? No, the semi-final is still, it's, it's okay because we're, we're nowhere near a completed product. We rely far too much on Bruno Fernandes and I think that Manchester United will be lucky to win the tournament. Inter Milan look a far more organised unit under Antonio Conte and Shakhtar Donetsk, to be honest, look far more threatening and more consistently threatening. But you never know, one-off games instead of two-legged semi-finals makes all the difference. So, who knows? Um, if you look at English Premier League last season, it was almost as if most teams were falling over each other to not get into the top six, top five. Uh, I really don't think that uh, Premier League Manager of the Year nominee Frank Lampard really matches up to his counterparts in other major European leagues. So it was a it was a good run by Wolves to get to the quarterfinals, considering where they were five ten years ago. Um, is is impressive. We we I know that you were reading the article about Russia. Do you think that maybe the we and we spoke before? There's a bit of sort of a focus, of, of like almost an anti-Russian focus in media. Do you find that like as an African living in Russia? I do. I, I do. I do see that. I feel like I feel I feel like they're just too much. The media is just too much. The main the the main media is too, just too much against against Russia. Well, because I mean, we're looking at say America, like you know, as he's still saying. I mean, the, the issues in America. America is the the highest rate of doping failures. Do you think yeah. that maybe that the the fact that we're all speaking English here means that we have a little bit more control over the story or the narrative? I guess so, because probably not so many Russians will be able to. They don't even care so much about what's happening because they can't really understand. But. I think so, yeah. Andy, Mac, moving across to you as a, a journalist of note, how important is it for journalists to write the truth in a story? The most difficult part is finding, sorting out what, the, what elements of it are actually true. These days it's got down to 
effectively covering your own back first and foremost uh, before you can even report what what is potentially true. Uh, it's a difficult one because you end up reporting f factual, th not necessarily factual things, but statements and allegations and everything put together in a certain way. But um, I mean, the, the purpose of journalism is is to go out and find that story and to and to tell the truth to the public. In this case, especially when it comes to sport, you feel like there's so much of it covered up hidden behind almost different positions now there's so many different elements to football clubs to federations to this that and the other and then the links to, to big money and big business as well um it's near enough near enough impossible and then you're trusting the word of a source and then obviously the people that are then going to be against the information that you're putting out will say well it's just an anonymous source here's our anonymous source so it's very difficult for anyone these days to, to actually get to the truth and then for it actually to be to be taken as that. Um, there's a story put out on Sunday that kind of surprised me right away. Uh, the author um, is Nick Harris, who you know has question marks around him. He, 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 some of his methods and some of his, the way he does things might be questionable, but he, he has brought some scoops out, uh, especially ones that, you know, our angle towards Russia, especially. At the same time, okay, respected journalists, so on and so forth. But he put out a story about a missing Russian anti-doping specialist, uh, Natalia Zhilanova, um, who had been missing since 2016. Uh, and actually, I'll let Isol, you can carry on a little bit, because he went to an unusual source to find out what had happened to her. So I'm not going to let my feelings on the said journalist cloud my comments on this but if you are going to make a, an article where you're commenting on someone supposedly disappearing due to obviously the implication was that she was disappeared by Russian authorities etc if you're going to do that then who would you go to well maybe a man who is currently in witness protection and apparently doesn't understand the concept of witness protection where you're not meant to publicize yourself consistently but Gregory was available for comment as he is currently available for every comment in every newspaper because, you know, and with the BBC, he has a book out. We've all looked at this. I mean, Derek, what, what did you write back to me when you first read this story? I wrote Putin, Putin, Putin. Because I, 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 until I read this, until you told me it's fake, then I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I thought it's Putin. Yeah, because I mean, the, the, the headline is this. Russia's, this is of course the mail on Sunday, uh, Russia's specialist advisor on anti-doping, Natalia Zhilanova, still remains missing after being suspended in mysterious circumstances. She was suspended because she was named in the McLaren report. She was suspended because she was a political appointee. She has a relationship, ongoing relationship, with uh, a leading, well, former uh, leading sports figure in Russia. Um, and, you know, she, she had a lot of question marks around her. They've based her disappearance on a tweet, her last tweet. She says, I have been and remain committed to the fight against doping, and that's it. And she was removed. You know, and the, the quote from Rodchenkov, who told the Mail on Sunday, I don't know what happened to her. Well, I, I don't think Grigori knows quite a lot of things. Um, how that can be the base of a story... I don't know something. That's this, that's effectively the same as pure silence. It's like I remember when Richard Branson started Virgin Music and he, he sent a letter to the Beatles saying, Could you give us an exclusive track which will really help boost us? This is when Virgin Music was a little tiny record company and they sent back a recording of silence. Well, this is basically the same thing. If I don't know anything, you're not saying I know that this is suspicious. You're just simply saying nothing. If I forget who, forget. 
Greg, Mr. Witness Protection himself, forget who he is, anybody saying that, how can you base a story around that type of quote? Forget the nationality, forget the man, it's just... Yeah. Rodchenko said that yeah he that he theorizes she was presented, prevented from leaving Russia lest she like him turn whistleblower. Oh, now, oh so hold on he theorized did he he theorized yes. didn't yeah. say with proof oh right so I see oh so that's what we're allowed to base a story on as journalists yes. that's where we've all been going wrong. That's why we don't have book deals. Now the next stop I'll say is that I made one quick phone call reading this. And found out that she's not only alive and well, she was on a Zoom call on Friday to her colleagues. I put her name into a Yandex, the Russian search, and was immediately able to find out, which I also then went on to prove on Monday morning, that she's working as the executive director for the Builders Union of Russia. Now, how she, that she was appointed there last November, how she's appointed there, there is a question mark. Andrew, uh, can you remind me who is the head of uh, building in Russia? Andy McLean? Confused as there. I'm going to stab a guess at a certain person beginning with S. Stab? Sasha Pachulia, the guy that Alex was trying to kill. No, not him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a former, the head, the head of, the, of the, the, the minister now for construction is Mutko. I was assuming it would be the former minister for sport, perhaps? Yes. Who then moved? Natural move. Well, he's, he's sorry. He's head of construction. Does he need to build more hotels that will serve him ninety-three breakfasts? All right, that makes sense. <laughs> I know. But so basically, there you go. There's the story. So the person who was a loyalist, who was um, supposedly Rodchenko said that he's been hearing from her, all, had heard from her all the way to 2016, and now she he has no contact with her because they no longer text each other because he's in witness protection. She's a visible person who I spoke with on Monday. Is it not a bit like her stopping tweeting about being anti-doping? Is that not a bit like one of the Irish bankers right before the crash saying, I'm committed to Irish bank regulation. Then everything goes and then they go, I'm not going to tweet about that again. And also the fact that her, her account was managed by uh, Rosada. So there you go. So the leading male on Sunday chief sports writer, uh, I'll do a simple search. So, right, we're going to run around the house. I'm going to ask you all some little questions. Andy, I'm going to start off with you because you were last in, say, so first up. Who, who would you prefer to win the Scottish Premier? Would it be Hibs or Rangers? Uh, well, if you're going to end the league now, then it has to be Hibs. Will it be Oral or FC Two Men? Right, two men has to be. Okay, that's good. Isol, around to you, and again, I'm, I'm going to say a very, very easy one for you. Dublin or Meath? I'd prefer Dublin. Okay. Would you prefer Natasha Jonas or Katie Taylor? Katie Taylor. Derek, back to you. I'll go to which which country in Africa do you hate the most? I don't hate any African country. But maybe, maybe maybe Egypt. 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 <laughs> I don't hate him, but I hate Egypt. That's great. Okay, <laughs> Andrew Flint. Which um, which city in uh, apart from Coventry or Birmingham deserves to be just flattened in England? Oh, in England. Oh, right, um, Liverpool. <laughs> okay. Listen, Andrew. I know Liverpool goes for you as well, but which which country in Russia deserves a kick in the backside? Which country? Uh, sorry, city in in Russia. 
need to, need to kick up the backside. Yeah. Well, it's got to be Veronish for just letting um, Alex and uh, you lot even in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.